John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs and were, I'm sorry, saw his signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that all these may eat? But he said to him, he said, I'm sorry, but he said, but this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered, answered him, uh, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have but a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down and numbered about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore he gathered them, therefore they gathered them, and filled twelve baskets of fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain uh, by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples came into the boat, uh, went, went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water and drawing near the boat. And they they were afraid. But they said to them, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we we ask this morning for help, not just in the speaking portion, but in the hearing and applying your word to our hearts, Lord. Let your name be glorified and your son exalted here this morning. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So as we're systematically going through the book of, or the gospel of John, we find ourselves in John chapter 6. Now, before we delve into these two miracles that we read about this morning, I do want to give you a bit of, of background or, or, or context to the miracle to help us kind of understand the, 
the, uh, the immensity of the miracle itself and what the miracle means. Remember, the purpose of John penning the Gospel of John was that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. Right? He, the reason he penned this, this, this Gospel for us is that he wants you to read these passages, read these miracles, and understand that Jesus is the Christ. And so we want to highlight that. Now, between chapter 5 and chapter 6, last week we were in chapter 5. In fact, if you look over, turn a page, chapter 5, it says, verse 1, it says, After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Right? So that kind of gives us a time marker. Uh, uh, John chapter 6, verse 4, it says, And now the Passover was a feast of the Jews and was near. Okay? So we have two time markers here to kind of help us uh, uh, situate ourselves in the timeline. So we know that in chapter 5 there was a feast of the Jews. It didn't tell us which one it is. Okay? In John chapter 6 it tells the Passover was near. Okay? So the biggest time span that could have been between chapter 5 and chapter 6 would be one year. If chapter 5 was a feast of the Jews was Passover, then one entire year would have gone past between chapter 5 and chapter 6. That's a long time. Okay? At best, if John chapter 5 was talking about the Feast of Tabernacle, which is the last feast of the Jews in the, in the, in the Jewish calendar, that would be six months between John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. I know I'm saying a lot of things about timing, but I'm belaboring the point for this reason. There's a big time gap between chapter 5 and chapter 6. A lot happened between John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. And the reason I say that is if we look at the other three Gospels, they're called synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Synoptic meaning the same, meaning they're very similar. We have a lot of events that happened, right? And so I want to highlight some of those events because it will give us some insight and some context to the story that we are in this morning. So the first thing that, or not the first thing, one of the things that happened prior to this miracle, and we see it both in, in Mark, Matthew, and in Luke, we see that Jesus was rejected in his hometown. You guys uh, remember, the, recall the story, right? Jesus came from Judea and, and worked his way north, and when he got to his, his hometown of Nazareth, that's where he, that's where he grew up. That's where he, he, he learned his livelihood as a carpenter from his father. That, that's where he worked to provide for his family. People in Nazareth knew who Jesus was. And he went into Nazareth and he preached in the synagogues. And the people said, is this not Jesus? Is this not Jesus, the son of Mary, whose, whose brothers and sisters are here with us? Where did he get this kind of knowledge? Where did he get this kind of wisdom? We, there was no honor for him in his hometown. They reject him. In fact, there's a verse in all three or three of the accounts that, that's very telling. He says, he could not do many miracles at Nazareth. You know why? Because of their unbelief. They did not believe in him. They did not believe in who he was. And Jesus could not perform many miracles. And so Jesus was rejected by his hometown. And we read that he leaves Nazareth never really to return. And then resides the rest of his time up in the northern Galilee area of Capernaum and in the region of Capernaum. Another thing that occurred prior to this is the sending out of the disciples. The sending out of the disciples. The Lord had, 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 had this great following, but, but there was 12 that were incredibly close to him. 
Twelve that, that, that followed him everywhere he went. And, and, and in his ministry, he got to a point where he grabbed his disciples, he paired them up two by two, and, and he, he gave them authority over demons, and he gave them authority to heal, and he said to them, you go out into the region of Galilee, and I want you to preach repentance and the kingdom of God to them, and I want you to heal and cast out demons. And listen, he, he gave very specific instruction to them. You're going to go two by two, and listen, I don't want you to take an, an extra bag of clothes. No second tunic. No extra pair of sandals. Listen, don't take a money belt, he says. You trust the Lord. And they went out, two by two. And and, and, and Mark, it says, they performed, they, they preached. They preached repentance to the people. And it says they performed, they, they said with oil, they, they, they anointed oil and healed people. And so there was this great outpouring from Jesus to the region. And the disciples went out and they were performing miracles. Now, I, I, I highlight that to you because that, that in itself created a commotion in the region. Not only was Jesus performing miracles and healing the sick, but now his disciples were doing it. And, and, and so imagine 12 men going about the amount of uproar in the, in the region. The second thing that happened, or the third thing, I'm sorry, that happened prior to this, and we read this in the other two accounts, is that John the Baptist... John the Baptist, that, 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 that one who went before the Lord to prepare his way, was imprisoned, was imprisoned by Pilate, was then beheaded by Pilate himself. Not by Pilate himself, but he, he ordered his execution. And it says that when Pilate heard of what was going on, heard of what Jesus was doing, he, he was afraid. He was afraid that John the Baptist had, had risen from the dead. And so he saw Jesus. And so Jesus and his disciples were, were creating quite an uproar, weren't they? And so we, 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 having those three things in mind, right? We pick up in, in chapter 6. Now, let me say this uh, along with our, my introduction here. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. So it's unique in that. It's unique in that we have more detail about this miracle than any other miracle that Jesus performed. We have miracles that are mentioned in two of the Gospels, three of the Gospels, sometimes just one of the Gospels. But this one is, is important because it's mentioned in all four Gospels. Now you may ask why. Well, I don't know why. But I can give you my opinion. It, it, consider this. Outside of the resurrection, this was... This miracle affected more people than any, anything, any other miracle that he ever did. This miracle involved more people than anyone, than, than any other time. Yes, he healed the, the leper, and it, it was the leper. He healed the man with the withered hand, it was one man. He, he turned water into wine, and the people in that feast, in that wedding feast, were able to partake of that miracle. But here, we have 5,000 men being fed. Now, having said that, 5,000 men is just the smallest number. Now, in the account of Mark, it says that they counted 5,000 men, not including women and children. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but when where men are, there's usually women. And where there's men and women, there's usually what? Children. Right? And so, again, there was a great commotion in the region because his disciples were performing miracles. He was performing miracles. There was, there was more of, 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 of a buzzword about Jesus. 
There was more people following Jesus than any other time. I, I would propose to you that the greatest group of followers that he's ever had was at this moment. His greatest point of popularity was at this moment. And now, now, now also to add to that, not only did he have a, a big following, it says people from all the towns would come out to see him. But now we also read in John chapter 6 that the Passover was near. Passover was near. Now what does that mean? That kind of that helps us to increase the numbers as well. When, when the Passover came, we had pilgrims from all over the region. Not just in Galilee, but those who lived north of Galilee, those who lived south. Everybody migrated where? To Jerusalem. And so Passover was near. So you can imagine families were getting ready two weeks before, a month before, getting their stuff together and beginning the, the, the commute all the way down or up to Jerusalem. And so when Jesus decided to perform this miracle, when the Lord's timing was perfect, not only was it the crowd who was following him there in Galilee, but there was pilgrims from everywhere working their way south to Jerusalem. So when it says 5,000, a lot of commentators will speculate. Some will say 10,000 actually was probably there, which is possible. Some say even 15,000. I have saw a number as big as 25,000 people were gathered here on the seashore. Now, the numbers, the exact number is not important, right? But the fact is that it was a large, large, large number of people gathered together. Now, this morning, I want to take a look at, I want us to consider three main points. I want us to look at the heart of our Lord from these two miracles. The heart of our Lord... I want to see the faith of the disciples and the young lad. And lastly, the faith of the multitude. Those are our three major topics I want to, I want to delve into as we go through these two miracles. And I will highlight it as we go through it. First, let's consider the heart of our Lord. Now, I, I, as I mentioned to you before, the, the, the events prior to this Give us a little bit of insight to the situation. For example, number one, John the Baptist was beheaded. And it says that the, the, the disciples of John the Baptist uh, went and got his body and buried it. And, then, and then, then they went and told Jesus. Now, to us, that's just mere facts. And you go, okay, I understand the facts. But I want you to enter into the humanity of it. Who was John the Baptist to Jesus? Jesus, the Son of Man. Not Jesus, God. But Jesus, the Son of Man. In, in a simple terrestrial aspect, an earthly aspect, he was his cousin. And here was his cousin, whom he respected, whom he loved, whom he admired, was killed. And not just died of old age, not just died of cancer, but he died a horrible death. How would you feel? How would you react? And so I, I, I bring this to your heart and mind because I, I, I believe the Lord himself was mourning in his heart and he was seeking some solitude. Second thing, the disciples were, were going out two by two. They were doing these miracles and they were preaching and, and, the, and they were seeing this great work of God in their lives and they were seeing the great work of God amongst the people. And they were all coming back together at the same time. 
And so here is Jesus. The disciples are coming back. News of John the Baptist. And in the account of the feeding of 5,000 in the book of Mark, it says this. It says, when the disciples had all come back, it says, he says to them, let us go over across the, the Sea of Galilee to a quiet and desert place by ourselves. You see, the Lord was seeking some solitude. He, he needed some time of refreshment. Not to mention, the disciples themselves probably would enjoy some downtime, right? It, 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 it's the equivalent of, of, of any of you who would ever go to a mission trip, a short-term mission trip, and you go for two weeks or three weeks, or whatever it may be, you, you, you get ready, you make your plans, you pack, you go, and you're there for three weeks, and you're laboring for the Lord for three weeks, and when you come back, what do you want to do? You want to rest. You want to recoup from the jet lag, you want to recoup from your travels, you want to unpack, you want to wash your laundry, you want to just relax. And I believe that's what the Lord intended in this moment. And so he wanted to go from Capernaum, get on a boat, and, and work his way just to the east, to a deserted area in the region of Bethsaida, to up, up on a mountain hill. Just to, just to imagine it, to just to sit there in the sun, on the green grass, on the rolling hills next to the seashore with our, with Jesus. The disciples would, would consider that a, a, hey, what did you guys see? Oh, we were in Gesseret. And there was a man with one limb missing, and the Lord healed it. You know, could you imagine them swapping stories? They were excited. They were tired. They were looking for a time together. And Jesus was trying just to spend some time, maybe in mourning. But what do we read in our story? It says that the multitude saw them and followed them. The multitude from afar could see the boat. There was great a popularity about Jesus Christ, who He was, what He was doing. And so when the, when the multitude saw Him, what did they do? They followed. They didn't get on a boat and, and, and follow Him. They, they just got their sandals on and began to walk along the seashore. And they followed the boat. Now, I tell you, and I ask you, if you were the disciples, how would you feel about that multitude coming? If you were the Lord, how would you feel about the multitude coming? Would you be a little, I don't know, what's the word? Irate? Can you just give me a moment? The multitude was so needy. Can you give me just a day to relax? That's what I would do. It happens to me all the time. Uh, When we're going, we're going, we're going, we're busy, we're busy. Oh, I just, I just, I just want a Saturday to do nothing. And, and, and we look at our calendar and we go, that's Saturday. That's it. We're not going to plan to do anything. We're not going to, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to have anybody over. We're just going to be here and do nothing. And man, oh man, when the Lord brings something in that day, uh, let's just say I'm not happy. But that's me. That's me. Now, let's look at the heart of our Lord. Despite of all that was going on, in Mark, in sorry, Matthew it says this. It says, when Jesus went out and he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. 
his earthly needs melted away. What he desired earthly, and I'll say that carefully, melted away. And he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. Mark would put it this way. He says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude, he, had, he was moved to compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The heart of our Lord. Here's the multitude. They don't, they don't come at a convenient time, yet his heart is moved with compassion for them. And so they come. I don't, we don't read what the disciples, what they say. We don't, we, don't, we don't know how they feel. We can only speculate. I, I'd imagine a lot of them were probably a little tired and perturbed about, about the multitude. But you know what Jesus does? He welcomes them in. They all come. And let me tell you, Jesus spends the entire day it says that he spends the entire day teaching them concerning the kingdom and healing them of all their diseases. He's looking forward to a day of rest and ends up working the entire day. The heart of our Lord. Teaching and healing. Teaching and healing. He is the great shepherd. And then we come to the disciples. The Lord, obviously, in his sovereignty, knew what was going to happen. He knew the, the multitudes were going to come. He knew what he was going to do. He knew his disciples were there. His disciples were watching. And then he begins the test of the disciples. Now, I, I want you to be careful here. I, I, I don't want to malign the, the disciples. I don't want to talk bad about the disciples because we're just as flawed as they are, if not far more. But God tests his disciples In John chapter 6, he says, he tested them for he knew what he was going to do. And so he begins to ask them questions. In the other accounts, in Mark, it says that the disciples, looking at the day, they got there in the morning, the multitude showed up, he preached all day, he healed all day, and it was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. In Matthew, it says that that it was evening. In Mark, it says that the day was far spent. And, the, and this is what the disciples say to him. Lord, this is a desert place. This is a barren place. We have nothing but grass. There's no convenience store. There's no towns around here. Lord, it's about time to send all these people away. Send them away so they can go and find lodging. Send them away so they can find some food, some sustenance. People are getting hungry. The disciples are probably really getting hungry, to be honest with you. It's a great idea. I mean, I mean, do you blame them? It, it's not, it's not, a, 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 it's not an illogical request. It's a very logical request. People are human beings, and they need food. And the day is long gone, and and and, and they need some lodging place. They need some food. So Jesus began to test them. And Jesus, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, would say to them, "Listen, there's no need to send them away." He says to them. You give them something to eat. Excuse me? You want me to give them something to eat? How does that make any sense? And, and you can imagine the, the, the conversation between the disciples. You have any food? You have food? No? no? We got nothing. 
And in the Gospel of Mark, it says, the Lord says, what do we have? He says, listen, go and see. Go and look. And the disciples would scurry around and check their bags and look here and look there. At the same time, in the Gospel of John, it says that the Lord specifically looks at Philip. Say, hey, Philip, you're from this area, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I grew up just over there. Where can we buy bread for all these people? Ooh. You know, I love Philip. If Philip was here today, he'd be a guy who would love spreadsheets. He would just love spreadsheets and pivot tables and formulas. And so Philip said, well, where can we buy bread for all these people? Okay. All right, so, so the, uh, there's about 5,000 people. All right, let's, let's, let me get my calculator out or my abacus. And, start. and he says, Lord, if, if, I want you also to listen to the, almost the sarcasm in his answer. He says, if we had 200 denarii. Now, first I want to say, 200 denarii, just in our context, one denarii was a, a one day's wage for a Roman soldier. So if you do the math, it's about eight months worth of salary. So Philip is saying, listen, Lord, if we had eight months worth of salary, which we don't, and we went and bought eight months worth of bread, which we can't. <laughs> he said, it wouldn't be enough. It would be just enough for everybody to get a little morsel. A rich cracker maybe, right? It would be enough for everybody to get one rich cracker. So little. Lord, it, it, it's, not, it's not possible. Now, I, I, I'm saying all this because the, the Lord is trying to show us the impossibility of the situation. He wants the disciples to understand the impossibility of the situation. It doesn't, the math doesn't work. This doesn't work. Philip, our, our, our resident mathematician, said, nope, doesn't work. And so, meantime, remember, he told the disciples to go look and see what they have. They were scurrying around. John was looking over here. Peter was looking over there, asking people, do you have any food? Do you have any food? Asking in the crowd. Nobody had any food. And, and beautifully, in, in, the, in the account of John, it's the only one that, that, that gives us a detail about the young lad. Now, we don't know much about this young man. We know practically nothing about this young man. But of all the people that the disciples went and asked, do you have food? Do you have food? Nobody seemed to have any food. But this young man said, I, I have food. My, my mom packed me a little brown bag of lunch. The, the Lord needs it. He can have it. The Lord needs it. He can have it. Andrew said, all right, come with me, buddy. And Andrew took him to the Lord. Andrew took him to the Lord, and, and again, look at the words, the way Andrew answered. And he says, Lord, we have a young lad here. He has five barley loaves. Now, now listen, when we say barley loaves, we're not talking about like a baguette, okay? We're talking about a little wafer. It's a meal for a young man, for a young guy. So it's five little crackers, let's say, and two little pickled fish. And, and Andrew says, Lord, Lord, we have a young man here with five loaves and two fish. If Andrew would have stopped there, oh, good job, Andrew, man. Everybody else is doubting, but Andrew, you, you got it. But he says, puts his foot in his mouth and says, but what is this among so many? What is five loaves and two fish among so many? Now, I, 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 I paint the disciples to you in such a light because remember what happened prior to this. 
What were the disciples doing prior to this? Men who were fishermen, who, who all they knew was the trade of going out to the sea and casting a net and collecting fish and selling fish, or, or, or a tax collector, uh, one who was an outcast of society because he was a crook and a thief. God took these men and empowered them to go and preach the kingdom to people, to perform miracles to people, and they saw the power of God working through them. And here they are. And there's a problem that they think is unsolvable. Unsolvable. Oh, the little faith that they had. Like I said, I, I don't want to malign them. We're not much different. We're not much different. I do want to pause, and I do want you to consider the young lad. Now, I, I, I don't want to speculate too much uh, about the young lad, but what do we know about the young lad? He was a young boy, and he gave his lunch. Now, if, if, you, can, if you can glean anything from that, it's simply the Lord can take of the least... And do wonderful things with it. The young boy gave all that he had. Was it much? No, it wasn't much of anything. And God blessed thousands with it. Thousands with it. Secondly, the faith of that young man. I I, I imagine when the young man willingly gave his lunch up, he probably said, I'm not going to eat today. That's okay. I can give up my lunch for the Lord. I won't eat today for the Lord. Oh, but the Lord blessed him, did he? The faith of a child, right? The, the, the New Testament talks, talks about the faith of a believer, right? If you're a Christian here this morning, we need to have faith of a child. What does that mean to have the faith of a child? Listen, when you tell a child something... When you tell your child something, he listens to you. And he listens to you wholeheartedly. And and he doesn't doubt you. And he believes you. That's the kind of faith that that God the Father wants from us. He wants us to hear his word, to hear what he promises to us, and to take him at his word and not doubt. Brothers and sisters, I, I... my little nephew, he's not here, and I'll share a story. Isaac. A couple of years ago, when he was younger, he was uh, his family uh, were, were up in uh, Melbourne Beach um, on a long weekend. And at the time, at Melbourne Beach, there was just a lot of jellyfish. And so he had gone in with everybody the day before, and he got stung like everybody does. And it hurt, and he cried. And he didn't want to go back in the water. And so the next day came, and of course, what do you do when you go to Melbourne? You go to the beach. That's all you can do. You go to the beach again. And, and, he, and he would tell my brother, David, he said, Dad, I, I don't want to go in. I don't want to get sunk by a jellyfish. And David would say to him, say, why, don't we, why don't we stop? Let, let's pray and ask the Lord that he would keep you from getting sunk by a jellyfish. And so he stopped with his son and they prayed. And they prayed, Lord, keep Isaac saved. Don't let him get stung by a jellyfish. And they said, Amen. 
And Isaac turned around and darted straight for that water. Not a single ounce of hesitation. David would tell me the fear and hesitation in my own heart. Lord, please don't let him get stung. (laughs) Isaac never lacked faith. David did. David lacked the faith. Isaac didn't. Let me get, let me tell you what. He never got stung. Never got stung. The childlike faith to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, I must move on. The young boy. So the disciples came with his two loaves and two fish. I must move on quickly. And the Lord says to them, Give me the five loaves and two fish. And he's, listen, I want you to tell all the crowd, I want you to sit down, recline. Listen, we're in a place full of green grass. We're not sitting in a desert place where it's just rocks and sand. This is a nice place to sit down and have a picnic. Everybody recline, sit down. And I want you to, to separate, separate everybody by groups of, of 50 or 100 so that we have an account. It's easier to, to dispense food if you have, if you're all separated in groups. And so, the disciples did that. They went and got the crowd and divided the crowd and they counted the people. And that's where they came up with the number, about 5,000 men. Now, I will say this. And I, I, I don't want you to miss this. Just a second ago, the disciples were, were lost. Lord, what are we going to do? What do we do? I don't know. All we have is five loaves and two fish. Lord, we can't feed all these people. Lord, what do you... Lord says, listen, just have them sit down and divide the people. They listened. And they obeyed. Listen, and I want you, I want you to listen to this point. Just because you don't understand what God is doing, it doesn't give you the right to not obey. They obeyed. And they, they did their best to, to grab all those people and to separate them in groups and to lay them all down. And it says that Jesus took the bread and the other counselors says that he looked, looked up to heaven and gave thanks. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I tend to, my, mind, my imagination runs a little bit wild when I read this stuff. If I was one of the disciples, and, and, and I'm sitting somewhere in this crowd over here, and I'm watching this, I look over to the other guy and say, what is he going to do? Could you imagine? I mean, we've seen wonderful, the disciples saw wonderful things coming from Jesus. He's done a lot of miracles, but like, this one's a big one. Like, what is he going to do? It's just five crackers and two fish. This is a multitude. And Jesus gave thanks. And the creator of this world, the one who created all things for his purpose, multiplied the bread, multiplied the fish. And, and, and it's funny, the, the Holy Spirit is very unique in the way he words it. it. It says that Jesus gave thanks and he gave the disciples the bread. And it says then that the disciples then gave it to the multitude. There was multiple eyewitnesses along the process. Now, how, how he multiplied the bread, I don't know. He could have just spoken it and it came into existence. He could have, listen, all we know is that he gave thanks, he multiplied it, and it was there. And the, the unbelieving, the, the little faith disciples took baskets and gave it to people. People took from the basket and they ate. And the process repeated to feed 
10,000 people, 15,000 people, I don't, I don't know. One thing I do know. It says in all four accounts, it says the same thing. And they were filled. The number at this point is irrelevant. The miracle was so great that they all were filled. They all were filled. In John, it adds a little note for us. It says that in verse, excuse me, in verse 12, and so they were filled. I'm sorry, verse 11, it says, as much as they wanted, sitting down and likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. And and a reason I want to highlight that phrase for you is contrast verse 7 to verse 11. That's one of my questions for you tonight when you gather in your small groups. Consider that. The best that the human minds can do. Jesus has to fill up the the, the genius and says, hey, listen, what's it going to take to feed all these people? And he he does the math and he says, uh, eight months would would just give them a cracker. Jesus says, okay. And what the Lord does is not only just feeds them more than a cracker, but all they want and then some. And the Lord continues to, to testify of himself, not just to the crowd, not just to the multitude, but to his own disciples. I don't want you, I don't want you to miss this. The miracle was, was, was just as much for the disciples as it was for the crowd and the multitude. For their faith was weak. Their understanding of who Jesus was, was poor. And Jesus says to them, listen, Get some 12 baskets and go collect the fragments. We don't, we're not going to waste any food here. And they collected how many baskets? 12 baskets. Now, reading to that what you want, simply a face value, every disciple got stuck carrying a bag, I mean a basket of fragments. Okay? How heavy it was, I don't know, but I imagine it had to speak to their hearts. Where they could not find a solution, Within themselves. They never thought about asking the one who was with them for the solution. You see, they kept looking at the situation with their earthly eyes and never considered what heaven could do for them. Our brother Mike last week said, God has all the can do. All we have to do is the will will you. And that's exactly the same thing here. God can do all things. question is, will you let him? And so we see the disciples. Now, let me move on quickly because we're out of time here. In the, in the rest of the accounts, we have a lot more detail in this next phase. In John chapter 6, we read here that when the multitude saw this miracle, here they are, this vast group of people, hungry, And now here this man, Jesus, multiplies a few bread and a few fish and everybody eats. Everybody eats as much as they want. There's no skimping. There's no, uh, here, we're almost running out. We're going to give you a little bit less. No, no. Everybody ate. It was bountiful and there was leftover. And the people were at awe. And they said, is this the prophet that Moses spoke about? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses said, listen, there's a prophet that's going to come that is like me, but he's better than me. And the people there, remember, what, what was the feast of the Jews that was coming up? 
Passover. Who delivered the, the, the Israelites, or who led, I'm sorry, not delivered, who led the Israelites out of Egypt? It was Moses. And so you imagine all these things were fresh in their hearts and minds, and here they have the scene, Jesus on a mountain, Jesus feeding a multitude with nothing. And they say, aha, I, 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 I see this. I'm connecting the dots. And you say to yourself, well, that's good. Sadly, the multitude was viewing it through their earthly eyes and desires and not their heavenly or spiritual eyes. What do I mean by that? Yes, it's good that they recognize Jesus as the prophet who was prophesied about in the book of Deuteronomy. That's good. But what, do, what does their action say about what they believe? Well, in John chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus understood what they were thinking in their hearts. What were they thinking? They're saying, this man can be our king. And, and, and he's going to be our king whether he likes it or not. The words in the, in, in the Greek are very strong. That they, they wanted to kidnap him and make him king. I mean, you may say, what's so wrong about that? Well, the multitude does what everybody does. And let me clarify that statement. When you talk to anybody about God, they all describe a form of what they think God is like. And almost always, God is this genie in a bottle, doting and doing whatever their heart's desire may be. God is not a genie in the bottle. God is not going to succumb to whatever your desires are. God is sovereign. God is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is creator of the cosmos. He knows all things and is all things. And he will not be forced to do anything. Now you may say, well, what would be so harmful? What would be so wrong? The reality is this. If Jesus wanted to become king and rule on this earth, he could have done it in that moment right there. But that's not the will of the Father. That's not the will of the Father. And so we read that he recuses himself. He, he leaves the crowd and goes up to a high place alone. And, and in the other accounts, it tells us that he sends his disciple immediately on the boat. And that's very important, by the way. He immediately sends his disciples by themselves on the boat to go back to Capernaum. While he, it says, while he dismisses the crowd and he goes up to a high place to pray. The multitude, we're going to talk a lot more about the faith of the multitude next week as we consider the rest of the chapter. And we consider the motives of the multitude and who they're talking to, the bread of life. But I do want to go ahead and cover the the second miracle of the disciples. Here the disciples are told to immediately go into the water and to get on the boat and to leave without Jesus. And Jesus lets them go. Now, Jesus knew what was going to happen, did he not? What was going to happen? There was going to be a great storm that's going to come in the middle of the night. And it was going to be contrary to the direction they were, they were going to go. They were trying to go west, but they could not go west because the wind was contrary to them. And it says that they left in the evening 
It's actually in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, it's actually a beautiful scene. It says, in the account of Mark, it says that the Lord was alone on the mountaintop praying. It says, and he looked down and he saw his disciples in the boat toiling with the oars. Toiling with the oars. They were rowing as best as they can. They were fighting the waves. They were fighting the winds. I, I don't know how many of you guys sail or canoe, but I've had the pleasure at Camp Horizon. And let me tell you, there's nothing more terrifying when you're out in a lake with uh, about 25 kids in canoes and a strong breeze and storm comes rapidly in. Because no matter how hard those kids would paddle, they're all going in the weeds. But these are kids. Here we have the disciples, trained fishermen, trained sailors. Here they are at their craft, as it were. And they were there, they're rowing, and they're rowing. In, in the Gospel of Matthew says, by the fourth watch, and he gives us a bit of a time frame. So that's around three in the morning to six in the morning. The Lord decides, okay, they've had enough. So I, again, I want to go back to the imagery. There the Lord is on the mountaintop praying. And he looks down and he sees his disciples in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, in the waves tossing to and fro, frantically rowing. And there's the Lord thinking of his disciples. And the Lord comes down and goes to his disciples, walking on the water. He walks on the water and as they see him, they cry and they scream. It's a ghost. I, all the years that Peter and Andrew and, and John were on, the, on that Sea of Galilee fishing at night, all night long, they never saw a human, a man figure walking on top of the water. And they said, it's a ghost. And they screamed. And Jesus would say, fear not. It is I. You know, it is I could be translated, I am. Beautiful words. And when they heard him, we, we read in the account of Matthew that Peter, good old Peter, I love Peter. He, he's kind of bullheaded and stubborn and man, he, can he put his foot in his mouth? And he says to the Lord, Lord, if it is you, ask me to come out to you. Now, I, again, I don't want to talk bad about Peter, but Listen to, the, to, to his answer. If it is you. Now, Peter, if I was a ghost, and I am not Jesus, and you said, if it is you, and I say, go ahead and come. What do you think is going to happen, Peter? It just doesn't make much sense, Peter. But anyway, the Lord may have chuckled in his heart, said, go ahead, Peter, go ahead, come on out. And you, you, you're well familiar with the story. Jesus, uh, Peter puts his foot out on the, of the boat and, and stands on water like solid ground, and he, and he begins to walk. And he walks on water. And, 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 and as he's walking on water, his eyes turn away from Jesus. And what does he look up on? He sees the big white cap waves coming at him. And the winds and the lightning. And he panics. And he begins to sink. And he cries two of the most beautiful words in the English language. Three, actually. Lord, save me. And Jesus picked them up out of the water. 
got him on the boat. And in the account of Matthew, it's very interesting. In the account of Matthew, it says that the that when they got into the boat, it says that all who were in the boat bowed down and worshipped and said, truly, you are the Son of God. But in Mark, you know what it says? In Mark, it says that when they got into the boat, they were astonished and amazed, rightfully so. They were astonished and amazed because their hearts were hardened and did not understand the miracle of the loaves. Did you catch that? So in one account, we read that they worshipped. and the other account, we read that they were amazed and astonished because their hearts were hardened and didn't understand what just happened the day before. So how, how do we do that? How do we, how do we do the math? Well, I would propose to you, like I said to you before, I think these miracles had just as much to do with the disciples as it had to do with the multitude. The Lord tested his disciples. He tested the disciples there on the shore concerning the feeding of the 5,000, and they saw God work mightily. And then the Lord immediately tests them again and sends them into the water. Did Was the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 enough for the disciples to understand that Jesus is the Christ? Because ultimately, this principle is going to come again in, later in this chapter. It is at the end of chapter 6 that, that the Lord asked Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus asked his disciples, whom do you say that I am? And Peter declares those famous words, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's proving himself to his own disciples. He is strengthening the faith that they have. And so yes, they may have not, their hearts may have been hardened and not understood the miracle of the loaves. But when the Lord came into the boat, they had a clearer understanding of who he was, right? And they worshipped and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. And, and, and it didn't just stop there. It says that the wind stopped, the, the, the wave stopped, and, and then one more thing happened. The Lord spent, uh, Lord bent time and space, and it says that immediately they were where they were going. They teleported. Now, all that was a testimony to the disciples. Now, I will end with this. There was 12 disciples. They saw the wonderful works of God. They were witnesses to the mighty work of God. And they all testified that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Creator of all things, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And one of the twelve was the devil, the Lord would say. One of the twelve would would, would walk along with Jesus, would witness all these things, would, would, would have to carry a bag, I mean a basket of leftovers. A basket of leftover food which did not exist a few moments ago. And yet, Judas Iscariot never believed. I ask you here this morning, friend, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a a good teacher? Is he a historical figure for us to kind of study and to analyze and and to live good lives based upon what we read about? 
You know, that thinking, or that line of thinking is no different than the line of thinking of the multitude. You can't make God to whatever form or, 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 or person you want him to be. Jesus said, I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. He later is going to say, listen, this is the will of God that you believe in me, he says, that you may have eternal life. Who is Jesus to you? You can, you can come to these meetings. You can listen to the word of God preach. You can, you can come to, to prayer meeting and pray. You can study your Bible. But if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, it is worthless. It amounts to nothing. Remember, Jesus has the can do. He can do all things. We can do nothing. The question is, will you, will you come to him? Will you come to him for forgiveness? Will you come to him in repentance? Twelve disciples witnessed the most amazing miracles. John chapter 21 would say that if, if we recorded all the miracles that Jesus had performed, the, all the books of the earth would not be able to contain them. And yet... One of them never made him his Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that in it, we read about the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and, and we see as Jesus walked upon this earth, and we, he demonstrates to us the heart of the Father. He demonstrates to us who God is. And we see a God of compassion. A God who, who makes time for the weary. A God who heals the sick. A God who, who sits on the mountaintop and looks at his children and prays for them, intercedes for them. Even though the, the disciples were there on the, on the water toiling with the, with the waves, Jesus was with them. Jesus was thinking about them. Thank you, Lord, that we have such an amazing God. Lord, I ask all these things in his precious name. Amen.